Guten Abend, liebe Sonne. Was hast du? Und dann sagt die Sonne, ach, leck mich doch am Arsch, ich bin jetzt im Besten. <lacht> ja, ja. Uh. Ja. <lacht> ja. Name? Dienstgrad, Abteilung. Guten Abend, liebe Listener. Hallo und willkommen nach another episode of Kill James Bond. I am Alice Gordor Kelly. Joining me as always are my friends Abigail Thorne and Devon. Buongiorno. Hallo. <laughs> and yeah, I've, hello, I've done the thing, right? <laughs> All right, I'm not going to do that again. Ex, ex geil. I, <laughs> I've, I've done the thing again where I'm like, oh, I do a comedy podcast where we talk about bad movies. Wouldn't it be fun to have like an hour and a bit of quite earnest discussion about a good movie? Doesn't that fit well inside that paradigm? I'd love to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So I made you guys watch The Lives of Others, Das Leben von Anderen, uh, which is uh, a German movie about East Germany. And obviously that's going to be a laugh riot. So you can, you can settle in for some, you know, some jokes, some, uh, you know, some goofs, yeah, some Yeah, I mean, it was very different than the last film you made us watch about East Germany. I was expecting there to be, like, singing and, you know, <laughs> trans women. But no, sadly, this one is just about, like, surveillance. Yes, yeah. But I, I'm interested to talk about this one. And I wanted you guys to see it because I think it says a lot about Institutions in ways that I'm, I'm interested in. I'm going to try and use this as a prism to address the cop thing, but also about parasociality and about surveillance. Yes. Yeah. And about yes. What if, what if, what if the guy in the panopticon was nice? Actually, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know this, but what if he's looking out for? What if me? there was somebody listening to the things that you said? Like, what if you thought you were yeah. having a conversation with your friends, but actually there was some weird fucking pervert somewhere who was listening in on uh. everything you were doing? Fucked up. The panopticons never hit home for me, honestly, because like, if I was put into a panopticon, every other prisoner would be fine because the dude would just be looking at me the entire time, 24-7. <laughs> Literally placed myself in a panopticon for a living. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the panopticon is it's, it's very cool. Mm. Um, Getting a note so from the guard in the tower being like, yo, are you single? <laughs> <laughs> Drop the skincare routine, queen. Get, getting a note sent across from the guard that's like, I think it's so cool how you don't do any voice work. Um, so, so, we begin in 1980s, I think it's like 1985, uh, East Berlin, in, in Berlin Hornschonhausen prison, um, with a prisoner being escorted down a corridor, and some, some lights come on automatically, and the guard like stops him and makes him look at the floor, so he doesn't even get to make eye contact with another prisoner. Yeah, um, I will say that was something that I found quite harrowing about this film, is that mm. it is a 1980s period piece, but the 1980s like, wasn't that long ago, and some of the aesthetics oh, no. of it, like the cars and the clothes and stuff, do still feel like pretty modern. So it's, it's kind of scary to see... Like, this is how bad things were extremely recently. Like, my brother was alive when this sort of thing was happening. I wasn't, of course, because I, I wasn't born for another 15 years. But no. this is still, like, it, it's quite sort of, it's very scary, actually. Oh, yeah. And it's, well, this is the thing. It's, it's certainly within not even living memory, relatively recent living memory in Germany, too. And as our, our prisoner is brought in, he sees his interrogator, a Stasi officer, uh, Hauptmann Wiesler, 
who is played by Ulrich Muir, uh, sadly, very sadly, like uh, died quite young. Oh. Pretty soon after this movie came out. He's a great actor. Oh, shit. His uh, performance in this is so it's, good. It's, he's phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. But the, th- the thing that I, I, I want to talk about and why I mention Ulrich Muir is because he was an East German border guard during his national service. Ah. Whoa. Um, and he was, he was then a dissident against the East Germans as an actor. Um, and, you know, protested against them. And after the war came down, he found out that four of his colleagues and his wife had been Stasi informants. So they asked him for an interview during the press round for this, how he prepared for this role. And he just said, I remembered. That's, that's, how, that's how near to what we're dealing with. Um, his wife was a Stasi informant. Yeah. Jesus. An Mitarbeiter, an unofficial collaborator. That's a sick surname. Missarbeiter? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what the Stasi called their informants was was EMs, IMs, unofficial Mitarbeiter. Um, but so oh, fuck, that's embarrassing. Hauptmann Wiesler, this this Stasi agent, interrogates this this man, and we see this is intercut with him teaching. He's recorded this. He's playing it back on a big sort of very eighties tape recorder to a class of students at the Stasi training school in Potsdam uh, as like a model interrogation, um, and. Uh, the the guy being interrogated claims you know he knows nothing. What what he's being interrogated for is one of his neighbors has has fled to West Germany. He's committed Republikflucht. He has like deserted the Republic, and they want to know whether he like knew about this, whether he assisted him. And initially he says, you know, no, I I didn't know anything. I was with my friend at this and this time. Um, and the interrogation just repeats and repeats, and we see a sort of like passage of time until he's been like so sleep-deprived and been asked these questions so many times that he's repeating exact phrases about where he went, and in the classroom, Visa... What do you think about when you jack off? (laughs) Again and again and again, they ask. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a bold choice, I think, to introduce this character, Vizsla, torturing someone, which is what sleep deprivation is. Um, and I think this is going to get into sort of how we approach this film as a morality play. Um, this is... This, the, the implication is he's been doing this for years. This, this even gets like flagged up by one of the students in the class who asks him, like, surely this is you know, inhumane to keep him awake for this long. And we get a little shot of him just yeah. marking a little X against that guy's name in like, the seating plan. Something I have done many times as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting a great deal out of like certain repeated words, uh, and one of them is 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 mensch, menschlich. Uh, it, it means human or humanity in German, but like to translate it naturalistically into English, you would have to use it in its context in like as like five different words. You would have to say like human, man, guy, stuff like that. So I'm probably gonna like use it untranslated here. So what the student says is, "Das ist doch unmenschlich." It's you know you can't keep him awake for that long. It's inhuman. Um, and he just sort of like quietly notes this, and he explains that like no, the reason why we do this is because these are the enemies of socialism. Yeah, he also says that an innocent person, when kept uh, and and treated in this manner, would become angry at the injustice of it. Hmm. But a guilty person, like he says, this prisoner, um, will fall back on stock phrases, will repeat themselves, will become quieter and withdrawn and cry. Um, and it's interesting, it was an interesting choice by the filmmakers that we never find out whether this prisoner was innocent or guilty. It, it wasn't no. until we started flashing forward to the class that I even realised the prisoner wasn't our protagonist. 
Yeah, no, he and he he breaks, of course, under torture, and he he confesses. We know not whether truthfully or not that his neighbor was involved in this escape, uh, and and like assisted his his other neighbor or whatever. Um, and then we get a, an interesting historical detail, which is after the prisoner is then taken out of the interrogation room, we hear on the recording Visla take the um the covering, the upholstery off of his seat. To use as a like an odor sample for dogs, and this is true. The Stasi did this routinely, and there are jars and jars of these these seat cushions, uh, just in records to this day. I know it smelled um, crazy in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, well, also one thing we see is that they threaten the prisoner's family. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and that's what eventually gets him to confess, truthfully or otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. And at this point, uh, we have. Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Grubitz enters the classroom. I love this guy. He's such a fucking yeah. shit, but this performance is so good. I really like him. He's so good. Yeah, Ulrich Tucker. <laughs> He's a weirdly likable character despite being like thoroughly despicable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and he he's he's friends with uh, with Wiesler, and we kind of get the impression that, that he's better at politics than him. That Wiesler kind of like has been doing his homework for him for like X number of decades, mm -hmm. um, and. Cute. Yeah, it is, and they have they have a good relationship, you know. So one's very, Avisa is very like straight and narrow, very idealist. Um, he he looks kind of like a monk too. He has this very yeah. like close cropped hair, very intense expression, and the, he um, hardly ever blinks on camera, which I assume was a deliberate choice by mm -hmm. the actor. But he's he's, mm -hmm. I mean, as as his job suggests, he's always watching. And it's yes. it's just a really his screen presence is just absolutely magnetic. He seems like a weird robot, and it's it's so good. Yeah. Um. And so Grubitz goes, "Listen, I'm going to take you to the theater, and I'm going to make both of our careers because I have an in here." Mm -hmm. Um. And so they go to the theater. That's the the production of a, a play by Georg Dreimann, who we see being surveilled by our two Stasi men from a box. Mm -hmm. Uh, already, they're not even like watching him yet. They're just watching in general. Um, and Visa has the little like opera glasses, his little binoculars to watch <laughs> people with. Um, so cute. Re it reminds me of a joke about uh, it's an old old joke. I can't remember who uh, about like a, a psychiatrist is someone who goes to the Folie Berger and watches the audience. Mm. Um, ask them how they jack off. That's right. Well, exactly. <laughs> and so Wiesler is watching the audience of this play. And this is this is a film that loves theatre. It basically is a three-act play. Yeah, it is. It feels it's, it's very, very much, much like, like a play. play. And, and Dreiman is uh, an intellectual. He's, he's a playwright. Um, as as Grubitz notes in what I think is like a really great sort of sly observation about the GDR, he says, he's our only non-subversive writer who's also read in the West. <laughs> uh, it, it like it speaks to such like this dearth of talent, right? That there's it's this guy. He's the only one who's like worth reading out. Everyone else the has country. either been suppressed or has run away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he 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 loves the country, and this is this this arch sort of way he says he thinks he thinks the GDR is the the greatest country in the world. <laughs> he sort of smiles, and the lead actress of this play, Krista Maria Sieland, who is who is Dreiman's girlfriend, uh, and sort of we see Wiesler watch her, and he has a little reaction. But more importantly, down in the audience, we have. The most repulsive man in this movie, or possibly yeah. any movie oh, I've seen yeah, for a this, while. This Real cunt. toad in a suit. <laughs> just a proper dickhead. Ah, oh, this this 
ah, oh, horrible reptilian pig man. It's, the performance yes. is so good. I'm not knocking the actor. Bruno Hempf, the Minister of Culture. Yeah, I got I to be clear here. Um, the way that this character acts means that all three of us going, I hate this cunt, kill him dead right now, is just a firm compliment to his capacity. Yeah, on yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. He sells this so well. He's literally the dude in... Um, in the Chernobyl miniseries, who just is like, yeah, I used to be in charge of a pencil factory, and now I'm the head to the workers of the world. Yeah, but that for an hour and a half, it's just fantastic. Yes, yeah, and and we see uh, uh, Gruitz tells Wiesler, yeah, uh, he's one of our guys. Hemp, he used to be a Stasi man. He got promoted into this, um, and he asks he asks Wiesler what he would what he would do about Dryman, uh, and and Wiesler, who is like we come to see inherently suspicious, is like. Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely surveil him because he's quite arrogant looking, and I don't, you know, I don't approve of this as a good sign. Yeah, just like based on literally the way he looks and stands, they're like, yeah, we should put this man under state surveillance. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so Hemp calls Gruitz down to to meet with him, and we have the first of what I think is one of the great pieces of this movie, which is conversations where there are like there are two conversations going on at once, and where sort of like there's an implicit meaning that has to stay under the surface. And so what happens there is that uh Hempf asks Grivitz, what do you think of what do you think of Dryman? And Grivitz correctly realizes that he is being told to surveil him. Uh he he sort of picks up Wiesler's instinct. He goes, Well, I I wouldn't trust him necessarily. Uh, and Hemp even like sort of lightly makes fun of this. He's like, well, you know, a, a sort of a lesser man, ordinary Stasi man would be like, oh, he's one of our best. He's you know above reproach, but that's why you and me are going to the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, it's quite fun actually that that uh, Grubitz sort of passes off Weisler's insight or suspicions as if they were yes. his own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of like again like copying his homework. Yeah, but what I like about it is that I think it's it it's him being able to read Hemp for a bit. Uh, and, and being able to understand that he's being told to do this, um, and and so he he agrees to do this. But then we see a bit more of why Hemp is is doing this, um, because we get a sort of an after party after the play, um, and Hemp is looking at um, is looking at Dryman and and Zeland dancing together with sort of undisguised. Purely atavistic sexual envy, resentment, and he's just staring. Yeah, he has a crush on Krista. Like he 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 wants her, and then yeah. he uh, he kind of threatens slash teases Dryman in a in a covert way. He's like, oh, you know, how's the, how's your friend this this uh, Jerska, this director Jerska, yes. this director who's who's been blacklisted? And Dryman's like, well, yeah, he's really upset about being blacklisted. And Hemp is like, we don't blacklist people. No, of course not. I <laughs> yeah, hope he gets to work you, again you soon. Should be, you should be careful what you say, you know, <laughs> using words like blacklist. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's so, and also he gropes Krista. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's, all of, all of this dialogue, I think, is, is quite sort of true to history in that, like, the GDR allowed certain kinds of dissent, and often a surprising amount within this layer of, like, hope or irony or even sarcasm where it was very clear that and this is something that comes up in all the conversations that there's a line right and if you don't if so long as you don't cross that line it's all right it might be like slightly risky but there's there is a sort of a ne plus ultra there's a line in the sand you can't go over that once you do you're just out 
Um, and this is what's happened to Yeska, right? And so he's been blacklisted. Um, but Dryman can still, you know, sort of make representations for him. He can still sort of, as long as he doesn't say blacklist, he's allowed that much. Um, and it's it's like it's I think a quite clever observation about how East German authoritarianism mm. in particular worked. I like the, the um, quote directly from uh, Dremer, which I enjoyed, was just like, my players aren't strong enough to survive this guy's direction. I need Jeska. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they, they've, put, they've placed a like, loyal director on his play, and it's, he's not good. Yeah, um, it's interesting, actually, and, and I think quite clever, the way that it portrays this surveillance state and authoritarianism, not as completely rigid and kind of rule-based, um, mm. But actually, in a far more sinister way, that there is flexibility, but it's always arbitrary. That the use of power—you're yes. you're never quite sure whether you are in the clear or whether you have crossed the line. You're never really allowed to know what the rule is um, mm -hmm. because it's the business of the people who have control over your life to know what the rule is. Um, yes. And I think this is, this is very kind of astutely observed. Hemp also has a great line that I want to draw out in this conversation. Uh, well, he he proposes a toast, which is quite a menacing toast. Uh, one that is like openly covetous of, of Krista, but also like quite threatening towards Gale. He quotes Stalin. Uh, he quotes Stalin's uh, saying, you know, the poet's the engineer of the human soul, um, which is like provocative. So he, he, he makes this toast, and then he has this line where he talks about um, Yaska and he says, People don't change. It only happens in your plays. You you want this idea that people can change, they can get better because you're a moralist and an optimist. Uh, but it but it doesn't happen. And that is like from where we like having seen the movie from where we know what happens to these characters, it's brutal. But also just as a piece of like German history for an East German bureaucrat to be able to say people don't change is so, so interesting, because you have this idea of, like, this long parade of German 20th century history of, like, a lot of people like this, a lot of bureaucrats, a lot of, like, sort of potentates, just sort of switching ideology as convenient, you know, liberals becoming Nazis, becoming social democrats, becoming communists, becoming liberals again. So long and... as they can keep being cops. That's right. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And I, I, I'll have something more to say about this when we get to the sort of the third act of this movie. But it, it struck me as a very sort of like um, a very salient line. Uh, it, it's sort of like it, there's an underlying cynicism there about power that I really like. Um, but so Wiesler has to go and put the surveillance operation just, up. Just quickly, in... something that I enjoyed mm. a great deal is after after this long scene of the party in uh, in Draymond's apartment, we get Wiesler going home to his own apartment, and the, it's just like dire and empty. And it's really put across because like they keep putting in these long tracking shots across his apartment mm -hmm. to show how like there's nothing in it at all. His dinner is like yes. spaghetti with some fucking tomato puree put on top of it and mixed in. Like it's fucked. It's, yeah. it's horrible. It's very yes. plain. But also my notes say his flat is sterile and Spartan. But it's also like it's really nice. Like it's a very yeah, spacious flat. It's like flat. Like, a nice I, I, flat. <laughs> so many people who I know in London will walk in and be like, "Oh, you're doing all right, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty again. good being a member of the Stasi, isn't it? Because like, he works for the Stasi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sort of this this perverse thing where the state has rewarded him for being the kind of person who is unable to appreciate its rewards. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I really, really like that. Yeah, there's definitely something I, I adore about giving this character a very nice but completely empty apartment. Yeah, it's it's especially juxtaposed against the, word the, the full party in the previous scene. Yeah, yeah. and especially against Draymond's flat, which mm-hmm. which we see is kind of full of knickknacks and art and books and stuff. It's like smaller and not as nice, but it's uh, it's full of life. Um, and we see mm-hmm. we see Draymond's flat now because um, Weasler follows Draymond, spies on him, uh, and then installs a bunch of bugs in his home. And there yes. is a fucking incredible bit where uh, Draymond's neighbor sees them installing the bugs in the flat. And Whistler approaches her door, knocks on it, opens it, immediately addresses her by name, and threatens her daughter by name as well. Yes, it's just like Frau Meineke. Yeah, it's just yes. like if, you, if, if Frau Meineke, if you tell anyone about this, little Marta will lose her place at university. And it's like <laughs> the, the amount fucking, of like he's not like what's your name? Who are you? Like he's just he 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 knows he was prepared to threaten this woman. Yeah. I. I absolutely massively love that because to me that's very <laughs> indicative of the, the German sense of itself because I think if an American film was mm. doing a similar scene they would have their agent knock on a door and just like be like just like speak to him like normal and then on the way out be like by the way how's Marta doing at college or something like that to like mm-hmm. imply mm-hmm. knowledge yeah. but the German dude just stands there and goes don't tell anyone or Marta's going to lose a place at college and then moves on immediately and I find that interesting <laughs> it's like a national yeah, character absolutely. thing now, um, so he sets up all of the the sort of bugs behind the light switches. Cables run in through the walls and stuff. Threatens Traminica on the way out, and this does speak to the sort of like the 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 depth of uh, knowledge that the Stasi had. Like, uh, and it truly is incredible. Uh, we, we see like later some of the files uh, in, in different contexts, and there's miles and miles and miles upon them. Um, and that's that's accurate. I mean, the the Stasi generated more written records of like German history than you know any German government you know ever since the Middle Ages. Um, and depending on who you ask, had you know between one in fifty and one in seven East Germans was uh, an informant for the Stasi. So th- th- this is not unsupported. No, uh, so so Draymond goes to visit his his friend Yuska, who's been blacklisted, and kind of like gives him a bit mm. of false hope. We see that Yuska is is a bit down in the dumps because he's like, I can't direct my careers over. Um, That's another thing. That's it's another one of those conversations where they both kind of know the other one is lying uh, because uh, w- what Hemph has told him is, well, he can still hope because hope's the last thing to die. It's like a taunting sort of like, no, he's never going to work again thing, and and and, and sort of. Draymond has to recount this selectively, and he says, well, he said there's, there's hope. And Yeska kind of nods, and they, neither of them really believe it, but it's, it's sort of this, this subtextual thing that I really like. And then Draymond, Draymond has a birthday party at his flat. Mm-hmm. He invites his friends, and Krista is there. Um, we see that Krista is, uh, is taking pills um, secretly. We mm-hmm. don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone lies. Everyone keeps secrets. Yeah. Really, really and uh, Weasler is Weasler is listening, sitting there in his headphones, like listening in to to this party, um, trying to sort of catch people doing. And, and again, things. it's phenomenal juxtaposition because you get the party, which is like full of these like artists who are having like as as good a time as you can have when everyone's mm-hmm. paranoid about mm-hmm. the, the the Stasi, but it keeps getting cut back to Weasler in his like listening outpost which is this like derelict attic and he's just completely on his own listening to this 
It really, yeah. Oh, it's it's just it's really good. I like this movie a great deal. <laughs> I gotta be honest, yeah. Yuska is at the party, but he's not having fun. Mm-hmm. Like a spectre at the feast, and he 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 leaves him a present. Uh, but then uh, Dryman is pulled away because his his friend Paul Hauser, who is kind of a dissident but like not quite uh, as bad as Yuska, and therefore has not been ostracized, gets in a fight with the director that he that the that the state has like imposed upon him um and says that he works for the stasi and drone has to like push him away and like apologize for him and 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 stay politic and hauser says to him you know he's with the stasi and and, and drone goes no i don't know that talk about a fucking intellectual lacuna yeah. right there that's yeah. like <laughs> because it's not i don't know that it's i cannot know this i it's it's something that like i'm aware of but i i cannot be, like allow myself to acknowledge it's great and and then we get menschlichkeit again because hauser says if you don't don't talk to me again if you're going to work like this if you're going to become like them uh if you don't take a stand you're not human so um and then uh, we have a really really amazing bit of filmmaking because um after the party, Draymond and Krista have sex, and mm-hmm. um, we get some like swelling music, and like we get like all the stuff that you would that you would expect as you know two characters lean in and kiss and have a romantic moment, and then we just get a hard cut to music even cuts out to Weasler like tapping away on his typewriter, being like Draymond and Krista presumably have intercourse. Yeah. Ching! <laughs> it's really good. It's so like, like sterile. Yeah. It's a brilliant little moment. So. Uh, at, at this point, we get the fucking canteen scene, which is <gasps> this is my fucking scene, <laughs> hands down. It's so good. Visla v- and and Grubitz are getting lunch in the Stasi canteen, and and Visla sits down at a sort of like regular table, uh, and Grubitz goes, well, "Wait a second, we're officers. You don't have to sit there." And in a sort of like beautiful sort of moment of being a true believer, he says, "Well, socialism has to start somewhere." <laughs> <laughs> So they, they they sit down with their food, and next to them, some some more junior officers uh, are talking. And one of them comes in. He's like, "I've got a new joke." Yes, which is the joke that you heard at the beginning. Uh, and this this is a historical joke. Uh, I, in fact, I will just recount you the joke. Eric Honecker, the general secretary of the the uh, party, is in his office. He sees the sun outside in the morning. He says, "Good morning, dear sun," and uh, and the sun says. Good morning, dear Eric. And at this point, he notices the two much more senior officers sitting next to him. He catches himself and he's like, uh, maybe I shouldn't tell this joke. Oh, and, and, and Grubitz sort of is the one who goes, no, 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 go on, Grubitz go on. Go on. Like, yeah. so hard in this scene. It's yeah. yeah, Grubitz is like, go on, man. He, he, he's he's like, I, pr- I probably know it. In fact, Grubitz imitates Honecker's voice in order to get into his like, good morning, Libra's honor. And he, he like goes, no, I've probably heard it. It's fine. Go ahead. We're all friends here. Um, so, so he's persuaded into continuing with the joke. In the afternoon, Honecker gets up from his desk, looks at the sun and says, good afternoon, dear son. And the sun says, good afternoon, dear Eric. And then in the evening, as he's packing up his things, he goes to the window, he sees the sun. And he says, good evening, dear son. And the sun doesn't answer. So he tries again. He says, Good evening, dear sun. And the sun says, Kiss my ass. I'm in the West now. <laughs> it's really good. And like, everyone is laughing. And like, <laughs> the group is like laughing. He goes, ah, ah, ah. Name? 
rank department. Which <laughs> <laughs> just, just it's so fucking perfect. It's so perfect. And it keeps cutting to Teresa who clearly hates this. Yeah, and yes. this studio, He's this like poor studio officer is fucking shitting his pants. As Krubus is just like, I'm going to have to write you up. I'm going to have to report you for this, man. That's subversive behavior. And then Grubitz turns it around and goes, ah, I'm only joking with you, man. I'm only pulling your leg. He, t- he tells he tells a worse joke, which is, um, uh, what's the difference between Hanukkah and a telephone? Uh, you hang them up and then you try again, which is uh, Neuwahlen. It's a like a German pun for like hanging up a telephone and voting for someone else. Um, <laughs> so he tells a joke about like hanging the guy <laughs> and and sort of like sets him at his ease. It's a much stronger version of the same joke is done in Death of Stalin, where uh, where Zhukov sort of plays it on Khrushchev, and he's like, you know, it, it importuning a Central Committee member is a very serious, a very serious crime, and I have to report this. Ah, uh, you should see your face, and it really that sets up just how sadistic Grubitz is, but also all of these sort of like little buried landmines that exist in East German society mm-hmm. that at any time can just like end your career. So we good. also get a nice moment just before this where um, we some Grubitz, before this joke scene happens, um, Grubitz says, look, I read your reports from Surveilling Draymond and uh, you wrote down that Minister Hempf picked Krista up and took her home the other night. Mm-hmm. I've removed that from the record. You didn't see that, okay? So we kind of get a bit of confirmation that this is a romantic rivalry um, and that this, this is kind of Hempf misusing the organs of state to try and get rid of a romantic rival. And uh, Weasler, we see that Weasler is like slightly upset by this misuse of power, and Grubitz is just mm. like, whatever, man, just like find something yeah, on Draymond. Make our careers, yeah, yeah, and therefore find something, mm. right? And we also, um, and, and then we see Minister Hemp um, pick up Krista in his car, and he rapes her, basically. Yeah, this is a yeah. Oh, I yeah, I'll let you Bruce, talk. About I, well, I think this is worth talking about as a and in sort of heavy inverted commas here, good rape scene, right? In that it makes us sympathize with her. Mm-hmm. She is like a whole person. We feel her loss of dignity keenly. Hemp, on the other hand, is not just menacing but also ridiculous. Yeah, um, he's pathetic. He's not portrayed and- as like powerful or. Or, no. s- or kind of strong, sort of or grimy and unpleasant. Like it's just yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's also we we see the kind of mounting tension as the horror of the scene unfolds. This this really sort of I suppose in a way mundane horror. It's one camera angle and it doesn't cut, and we're just looking at the mm-hmm. back seat of the car, yes, and yes. it's just it's it's such. We also get some grubby and like an uncomfortable. Oh yeah, thing, good word. Because it, it's you're just in the back of this car. It's like one camera. It doesn't change, and you're just you're stuck in there with them. There's some there's some great sort of voyeurism there as well because we see just a little shot cut into this. It's, I think it's the one shot that's cut into this of Hemp's driver watching them in the rearview mirror, and it's just like, oh, this is this is total surveillance. It just it mm-hmm. encompasses everything, including this. Um, and it's it's so uncomfortable and and desperate, uh, and so um, Wiesler is in his surveillance attic in what I thought of as like the moment where it starts to get parasocial. He has chalked out their floor plan of the of their apartment mm. on the floor below him, uh, so that he can like sort of like follow their movements. Yes. Um, and he sees on the camera outside that that Hemp's car is is dropping Kristoff, and and he at this moment sort of breaks with 
protocol. This is the part where he goes off the reservation yeah. for the first time. He he makes an um, intervention. He, he does. He he, yeah, manipulates... he starts trying to interfere with the Blobos from his show. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He interferes with their intercom to try and like get Drymon to go down uh, to to unlock the door and get him to see Krista coming out of the car. And what I'm what I'm interested in is to me. Uh, this isn't part of a movie about institutions, about bureaucracy. Any bureaucracy doing anything needs its share of like true believers, right? And there's different ways of being a true believer, but it needs its share of idealists. Um, and I, I think often unintentionally even, part of the function of a system like to preserve itself is to compartmentalize those idealists, to like keep them doing stuff that they're comfortable with. Whether that's uh, you know that there's stuff that the sergeant doesn't tell the lieutenant, or whether it's like I don't work on missiles, I work on guidance ships that are going to go into missiles, and I don't think about that extra step. Mm -hmm. It's there's this sort of like intellectual quarantine that's going on, and Wiesler is like just breaking that containment immediately and quite violently to be like, no, it's it, it is time for some bitter truths, is what he says. Yeah. Um, and, and so he, he facilitates this. He makes Dryman see uh, what Hemp is doing. Yeah, um, he makes the doorbell ring so that Dryman, you know, thinks there's somebody stuck outside who's forgotten their keys. And Dryman goes down and sees Krista getting out of Hemp's car. Mm -hmm. And immediately puts it together and immediately sort of like intuits what this means. Um, and so when she comes back to the apartment, she, you know, she gets in the shower to try and like sort of like wash everything off of her. Uh, which uh, and it's harrowing. He, really. it is, it is, and he comforts her. Um, and he, you know, they, they they lie in bed together. He embraces her, and uh, there's <laughs> this fucking shot is the best shot in the film. Is they they fall asleep together like this, and then we cut upstairs to Wiesler, who is also asleep in his chair, who is like bent over, like he's with them. Like he's being held with them, um, and that sort of that relationship, that imagined relationship, that need to be held and comforted and protected, fucking set that up against Hemp and his sort of like grimy predatory instincts. It's really it's quite something, uh, and just the composition of that that one cut from shot to shot. I could talk about that for hours. Yeah. We also see um we also see that Weister is uh, getting even more involved in their lives because he walks around Draymond's flat when Draymond isn't yes. home and he even steals a book from him and again because this this film likes theater it's a book by Brecht. Um yes. so he's starting to just like you know just move into the flat whenever Draymond's not in <laughs> which is so so cute. Um we also see that he hires a sex worker because he wants to like again this this idea of him wanting to feel Sort of close to someone or to be held by someone, um, and then we learn that Yerska has sadly um, hanged himself. I I do want to talk about the sex yeah, worker scene because it's quite brief, that. and but the fact that it's brief is 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 worthwhile and notable to me uh, because he can't have a meaningful relationship with someone. Um, it, it doesn't like the, the state doesn't facilitate these sorts of things, and so the kind of sex worker that he gets to come to the block full of Stasi officers' apartments is 
very businesslike and very remote and is just like, yeah, I'm on the clock. I, and there's there's a there's a joke in there, in fact. He like gives her directions up and she's like, oh yeah, I know, I'm, up, I'm in here all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, oh, this is this is like a perk, right? This is something that you get for like serving the state. It's like a TV, or it's like the, you know, having a slightly nicer apartment. And much like the slightly nicer apartment, he doesn't really know what to do with it. Um, he, it's, it's sort of like it's, it's lost on him. There's something there that is like alienating him from it. Um, but so, uh, Yaska, yeah, we're told that Yaska has killed himself. Um, Draymond plays the music that Yerska gave him, which I think is called like Symphony to a Good Man or something. Yeah, yeah. he plays it Sonata on the piano. von von guten Menschen. Sonata von guten Menschen again. Um, mention again, mm-hmm. and uh, Weasley is of course Hardly listening to this. Shut the um, fuck up. He's like, listening in uh, <laughs> on the headphones, and he's moved to tears by it. Probably so. Yeah. 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 Incredible shot as it just like the camera slowly pans around Weasley's face, and we just get him like crying as the music swells. It reminds me quite a lot of um, Equilibrium. Um, mm, which yeah, would make yeah. an interesting companion piece uh, to a, this a movie film, about when you start taking estrogen. Um, yep. <laughs> so, but as, as as he's weeping, listening to the thing, Draymond says, "Like, uh, you know, can anyone who's actually heard this, like, actually heard it, be a bad person?" Um, and it, also, this is something I want to talk about. I want to talk about Gerd Wiesler's iconic jacket. Yeah, yes. I want to talk about the jacket. Thing. It fucking whips. It's the thing. <laughs> it it <laughs> genuinely does. So, so. <laughs> So the whole movie, he's wearing mostly over a suit this sort of grey nylon jacket that is supposed to be ugly. I think it fucks. Uh, at, we see him come home, and he has one jacket. Uh, it's like the one thing in his house that he like hangs up. Um, and first of all, that's that's great in and of itself. Like it, it builds both character and setting that like yeah, he's only got one fucking one one jacket and he d- feels no need to get any more uh feels no need to like change or adapt to fashion or anything like that is happy with his like his gray thing which looks quite monastic as well but also he wears it zipped up really tight around the neck the whole time when he's listening to uh when he's listening to the music it's the first time we see him with the coat sort of like undone a bit more um but, Lovely little touch. So, we also get quite yes. a funny moment where uh, Weasley comes home after this, and he's in the lift, and a small child gets in with him, and says, "Are you really with the Stasi?" And he's like, "Who told you that?" And he says, "Oh, my father did." And he says, "Do you know what the Stasi is?" And the child said, "Yeah, you're the bad people who put people in prison." <laughs> it's really, it's really good. I, I wrote down "Kids at Earth's biggest snitches." <laughs> Dude just gets yeah. in the elevator and was like, "My dad says the Stasi are bad," and he goes, "That's interesting. What's your?" <laughs> What's the name of your and then like stops and is like <laughs> ball? <laughs> yeah, he very nearly destroys this child's life and then decides yeah. not to, which is cute. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I think that's like yeah. maybe one of the most important character moments for this guy in the entire thing. Is yeah, like, shows that he's that's starting the moment to where he's like, hang on, <laughs> wait yeah. a minute. What if being a cop is bad? It's it's the only time where someone makes fun of him is because he he like forcing himself not to do the cop thing. He he allows himself to be made fun of because he says, "What's what's the name of your ball?" And the kid says, "Balls don't have names." You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, now we get this fucking incredible scene between Draymond and Krista. So Krista, yes. Krista is going to meet Minister Hemp, and she says, "Oh, I'm just going to go meet my classmate." And Draymond says, "Look, I know you're not. I know you're going to go and meet Hemp." 
And he says, you don't need him to be successful. She's like, you know, you're a fucking good actor. You've got talent. Your audience loves you. You don't need to like give in to this blackmailer. And she says, like, fuck you. Yes, I fucking do. Like, you don't understand what it is like to be an actor and to have talent in a society where you do not have the institutional power. Like, you don't know what that's like. Yes, I do fucking need to go and see this man. She, there's there's a it's brutal so line. Good. She direct, yeah, the, the, real, the real knife here is where she says, you get in bed with them too. Yes, I was going to wire that up too. <laughs> Which is just brutal. I mean, she's she's not wrong. And it's... Sort of, it's it's quite a keen thing to, to 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 posit this as no, this isn't any 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 worse or any better. This is this is interchangeable. We're both both sort of degrading ourselves here. Yeah, and I I I really really felt for Krista in this scene because to give you a peek behind the the curtain here, listeners, um, an acting career is an extremely fragile thing. Like even if you're doing well, it can be ripped away in an instant. I've spent all of this last week. Um, as the ball in a game of tennis between my agent and a very big studio who are like, they offered me a part and then took it away and then offered it and took it away and I've been like, been bounced back and forth and it just fucking shreds your nerves. Um, so I really felt for Christian this scene being like, yeah, I fucking do need to do this actually because you may think that I have talent, but talent actually doesn't fucking pay the bills. What pays the bills is paying the fucking bills. That's right. Yeah, and so she 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 walks out um and at this and point, Whistler she... is like let let off by his his replacement for the for the night shift. His his replacement, who is a pig, by the way. Uh, this yeah. this sergeant, this, the fact that he's a sergeant will become important later. Uh, but who is is very much of the mold of like uh, artists, I bet they're having sex right now, uh, and is just generally sort of not very bright. Yeah. Um, which is something that we will see sort of Whistler exploit later. But he he goes to the in a very sort of Berlin movie, goes to the Eckkneipe, uh, the the corner bar pub across the street. Um, yeah, and we see we we see him drink. Uh, he he orders vodka instead of like he he orders a, uh, like a seltzer and then catches himself and orders like a, a double, of, a double vodka. of vodka. And we get a shot of him, which is one of this is a great shot. It's he's facing towards the camera. He's in focus. In the background is the door to the pub, and through that. Comes, um, comes our our last comes Sealand, yeah, Krista, yeah, um, and he sort of in, he introduces himself to her as a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he He's makes like, another really intervention. Been watching for years. <laughs> I actually came out because of you. Yeah, this shit is extremely parasocial. <laughs> like for us, yeah, this scene yeah, yeah. is such yeah, a fucking yeah, yeah. like. Oh, we've had this it, conversation. It's different when you have yeah. a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she's she's agonizing about whether to to go to Hemp or to go back to Dryland. She's drinking and, to get such courage. Mm. Yeah. Um. And and he goes, "You're you're a great actor." And um. You know, I'm you know, your audience, he says, in a fantastic double meaning. This this is a recurring word again. Publicum audience uh, will, will come up again. Um, but yes, he, he she asks him just flat out, should I, you know, should I sell my myself for art? And he says, you already have art. There'd be a bad deal, which is a great yeah, line. Like yeah. uh, but just the thing about surveillance, right, is that you are seen, you are perceived, and Krista's thing is that no one else is seeing her. And so, that he is able to do this, that he is able to, like, uh, 
know what is going on in her life and is like able to advise her sort of however tacitly to to go back to Drymon is is so powerful. And what's really funny is that he sort of accidentally becomes the way the Stasi always wanted to present themselves, mm -hmm. as just like just looking out for the sort of like individual <laughs> proletarian, right? Because uh, he, he he is in this instance trying to look after her in a way that is creepy and vicarious and voyeuristic, but still well intentioned. It literally has like slogans on the on the tube in London from the Met Police that are like we're looking out for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fucking hell, man. Fucking cock. Um, but anyway, she says, she says, thanks very much. You're a good man, which, again, an echo of what we had mm -hmm. before. Um, and, uh, and, uh, in the morning, uh, Weasley goes back to the surveillance attic and he reads the report from the sergeant overnight and he reads that, that Krista went back to Dryman. She didn't go and see the minister after all. Um, and she kind of like broke their date. She went back and, and just shagged Dryman's brains out. So mm. good stuff. Yeah, sick. and and of course the the sergeant because he is uh, ignorant and misogynist and lazy has no idea what to make of this, and so the way he's written this up is he has no idea. He's so confused. She, she says yeah. she'll never leave again, and she, it's like I'm not sure what she means by this. Maybe she intends to take better care of the household. There's de there's yeah. a point where you get like the shot <laughs> of the report, and there's a number of points where he's got like a question mark in brackets. Within the middle of the prose, which I find to be very funny. Yeah. So, uh, Dryman has begun work on an article inspired by Yerska's death about suicide in, in the GDR mm -hmm. and about how it's. Just more in or case less you worry this film was going to do happy listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because suicide in the GDR is like one of almost, like, basically a handful of unreported statistics. Yes. And it's a state that collates information and, and tabulates everything, and it does not record suicide, uh, because there are so many, is the implication. Because there are so many people who are, like, driven to despair. Um, and he's, in he's that smuggled sense, it's very in, much like Britain. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's smuggled in this, uh, this ultra-flat typewriter with a red ribbon, uh, which he can hide. Um, but in order to do this, they have to establish, they have to find a place that's like safe for surveillance, safe from surveillance. And so they, they go, oh, well, Dryman, he's like, you know, he's friends with Margot Honecker. He's like, uh, he's probably won like a Stalin prize or whatever. Uh, you know, no one's going to bug his apartment, but just in case, we'll test it. Um, and so the way they test it is they get very drunk. And they arrange a sort of like a radio play. Like, yeah, they, they kind of like loudly plan. discuss their <laughs> criminal plans deliberately. Uh, it's great yeah, fun. They're like, oh, uh, oh, your 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 cousin is helping smuggle my brother out of the country. He'll be stopping at this border crossing in, in a bright car. yellow Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is like they're clearly having fun with it. Like being able yeah, to speak yeah. out loud about like sedition in such a manner is so exciting that they just get really mm -hmm. into it. I find very, very and, and the vibe is that, like, well, if the Stasi are listening, then the car is going to get stopped, but there's not actually going to be anyone in it, so it'll be fine. Like, so they're mm -hmm. trying to play a little trick here. Yeah, the false plan. Um, because the, the, mm -hmm. the ultimate plan is that Dryman's going to write this article about suicide and that it will then be smuggled out and published in the West, is, mm -hmm. is the idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, Weasler is, of course, listening to them, and he, uh, he doesn't report this. Um, he, he, I think he like is the implication that he figures out that they're like trying to set him up, mm. or is it that like no. he's trying to do them a favor yeah, by not a favor, reporting yeah. it? 
Yeah, oh, he he, God, he literally no he deed. calls he calls the border post and like is about to report them. And he's like, oh no, th this one time I'm gonna let you get away with something. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, my precious Blobos. Yeah, he makes the most, to my <laughs> mind, suspicious thing you could possibly do. Which he puts in his notes: seven thirty-two p.m. No further incidents to report. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 you do that That's on the right. hour. You, can't, you cannot yeah. be doing that at thirty-two. <laughs> Damn, Dev, you're good. I would have called yeah. that. I'm just and saying. <laughs> you should work for the Stasi. That's good. That's yeah, the I should look into working that. for the Stasi. That's definitely not something yeah. that's already on that. And, and of course, to do the right thing, avoids falling into this trap. And so they, they begin typing up this article. They keep Krista out of it. Um, and they store this this ultra-flat typewriter with a red ribbon sort of under the, the um, uh, sill of a door, the bit you walk on. Um, so, at this point, we... Oh, by the way, the reason they got this new sort of ultra-flat typewriter is because uh, the Stasi can identify the brand of typewriter that somebody uses by looking at the font. And they know, they know all the writers, what, what brand of typewriter they use. So if, if they have like an original copy of something, then they can know who wrote it. The, the reason why they know this is because in East Germany, you had to register a typewriter. And that yeah, is true, you had to have a license for it. Um, then again, every printer that you can buy prints identifying microdots on anything you print out of it, so... Really? Yeah. This is a side note for anyone, but that's why the printer refuses to print in black and white if you've got no yellow ink left. That's why it does it. It's because huh. it needs to do the little, like, side thing so that you can identify. Really? Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so... <laughs> At this point, Wiesler is called back in by Grubitz, and Grubitz, who has incidentally, in possibly the most cynical thing he says in this movie, he calls the thing between Krista and Hemp a love story, um, and, and says, you know, we have an interest in making this love story happen, it's gonna, it's gonna make our careers. Uh, he, he, he calls them in, Wiesler is thinking about handing in his report that is gonna expose Dreiman, but- Oh my god, I love this Gru scene. What Grubitz does is he's uh, he's he's gotten this job as like a, a sort of like a thesis supervisor for the the Stasi training yeah. school, and and he he takes Wiesler through his his thing his thesis for that he's supervising, which is about artists and dissident artists, and essentially it is a, a way of destroying a person's ability to create mm -hmm. art, right? Um, and and the program is that you you take your dissident artist, you keep them in solitary confinement for ten months, you give them no human interaction whatsoever, he and then you just let them go. He specifically says, do not beat them, do not like speak, yeah. don't even raise your voice to them, treat them so nicely, don't give them anything they can write about later. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. about ten months, don't make it exact, but like, and, and definitely don't tell them when it's going to be, but then mm. just arbitrary, arbitrarily release them. Yeah. Do nothing yeah. else. And he says, and, and, and they will never make art again. This isn't even like a universal mm -hmm. prescription. He's like, you know, there are five types of artists. Yeah, he's doing because chronology. the Stasi love to have typologies. Yeah, it's very telling. <laughs> I'll say that for free. <laughs> what What is the sort of hell punishment for podcasters that prevents them podcasting? <laughs> I, I'm sure this. we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is that this like so troubles Wiesler that he refuses to do it. He refuses to turn Dryman in. He refuses to like destroy his ability. To create art. Yeah, yeah, Weasley like, says, you know what, I think we need to wind down the operation. Like, I've been spying on Dryman for ages and not found anything. Mm hmm And uh, Grubitz is kind of suspicious of this. He kind of smells a rat a little bit. He's like, alright, fine, whatever. I don't care. Just find something. Um, and it's too late because 
the uh, the the article is then duly written. It's published. It's it's smuggled across the border and it's published. And we see that out out maneuvering even hemp, we see Grubitz on the phone to a general who is like threatening to have him shot for having released this. Um, and so this this now becomes like priority number one. Oh my god, we Let's get find out who wrote this. We get thing. my favorite guy in the movie. We genuinely the like typewriter guy star to me, like Cal- like <laughs> <laughs> typewriter guy. It's fantastic. I love oh, the typewriter guy. guy is cool. Typewriter yeah, guy is like- <laughs> typewriter guy, like first lieutenant, he's like brought in to explain typewriters, and Grubitz is just like, I don't give a yeah, shit. This guy, Fuck you, look, shut look, up. I don't, don't want to like draw stereotypes, but this guy knows a lot about Magic: The Gathering, and he'll he'll <laughs> tell you about it in detail if you give him even the slightest prompting. Like his his well, Herr Lieutenant, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> His job within the state Alzor. is to analyze like the typeface of of the script and determine what typewriter produced this, and he does so. He knows exactly mm-hmm. what kind of typewriter every artist. Yeah, yeah. He keeps getting quizzed on it, and it's like, oh, this guy uses like an Olympia Super. <laughs> like, well, yeah, it's yeah. So, so good. He's got like this big fuck. It's because he's doing a presentation. Obviously, we're pre like OHP. Like, so he's just got like a big piece of paper on an easel and is like pointing at it. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, yeah, it's guys. so good. They said, "Look, yeah. I've been playing a lot of I've been playing a lot of RimWorld recently." I- <laughs> <laughs> Listen, fuck off. <laughs> so, so, so Grubitz calls uh, calls Visla about this while he's still in the attic mm. and says, "Oh, have you, you heard about this fucking article?" And Visla, who has been listening to Dryman write it, goes, "Oh yeah, of course." And Grubitz goes, "Where from?" And Visla, and Visla just like throws up his hands, like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, you, fuck!" Because he, you see just- him catch the mistake immediately. They're like, oh, "Do you know about this article?" And he's like, "Yes," and then immediately like puts one hand, clenches it to his head. He's like, "Fuck." Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like such a great like good luck yeah, yeah. kind yeah, of moment. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, but he 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 like lies that uh, Hauser called called driving about it. Um, and at this point, Hemph, who we saw in like a sort of intercut thing while uh, while the two lovers were hugging each other, like alone, very alone in his hotel room, just waiting. Uh, he he calls Grubitz into his car and he's like. All right, listen. This is this is over now. I'm done with her. Um, here's where she gets her her um like her barbiturates or whatever. Go and arrest her. Like and I, yeah, <laughs> I and he says I never want to see her on a German stage yeah. ever again. He orders he orders the police to end her career in this mm-hmm. fucking terrifying scene. And she yeah. is she's arrested. She's taken in. Mm-hmm. Rubitz interrogates her. She offers in one of those like uh, it, sort of illicit like camouflaged vans. Mm. It's like just uh, it's a fish van, they're bread vans in real life. She yeah. she offers to be an informant for the Stasi. She mm. also it is implied like offers to shag Grubitz, and Grubitz oh, yeah. is like, "I'm sorry, you know, you've made an enemy of a powerful person." It, oh, the the fucking the first thing Grubitz says when she walks in is he says, "You had a great career." Oh, and it's like, yeah. oh god! Oh, he it's, says it's, it's a shame it's... you were really good. It's like, and he's he's talking to this woman who must be like in her like thirties, forties mm. as mm-hmm. an actress to be like, your career's over. It's just like it's it's, it's oh, horrifying. Fuck, it's you... so scary, specifically for me, but also in general. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you you feel you feel her like her loss of dignity and like you don't. I I well, at least I didn't blame her for betraying. Yeah. No, which I, is I was like, which, that's of course, she wrong, does. But I understand, like, she's it, he's like offhandedly, 
Oh, I, I don't suppose you know anything about uh, like who who wrote this, and she has seen him place the typewriter mm. in, its, in yeah, its. Yeah, this is the most like Hollywood place. moment where he goes, "I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do." Unless, unless, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 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 they let her out, and he gives her some more pills uh, because he says, like, uh, to, you know, to be uh, to be an informant, you know, it has some privileges. Uh, just. Um, Try, try, not, try to look surprised when, when we arrest him. Uh, you're an actress, you'll manage. But anyway, the, the Stasi come and they search the place. Mm -hmm. And they <sighs> don't find the typewriter because they don't look under the sill. The search sequence is so terrifying. It, keep, it, like, it keeps cutting back to them stepping on this, this floorboard that we know conceals the typewriter. And it creaks every time. And it's like... It, it, you feel the the tension that this man is under. Also, they destroy the flat. They like rip stuff apart. They cut the yeah. sofa cushions over. And at the end, the guy in charge of it hands Dryman like a ticket and says, "In the unlikely event that anything was damaged, you could claim compensation." And there's this, this is micro beat of like, "Don't try." <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is like better and less heavy handed than when the same joke is done in Brazil. Right, because what Dryman does is he he looks at it for a second and he goes, "I'm sure everything's fine." It's have, having seen them like slash open his couch cushions and upend all of his books and everything, it's and really it's like good. it's so much better as like a vulgar exercise of power. Um, and we see we see some of the, like the paranoia and the suspicion as well because Dryman's friends and his like director and stuff are like, "Look, Krista must have turned you in." She's the rat. And he goes, no, it can't be her because she knew where the typewriter was and they didn't find it. So if it mm. is her, if she is a rat, she can't have told them everything. She must at least be on my side a little bit. Mm. Yeah. So, so Grubitz, having found nothing, now focuses and sort of points the finger of suspicion at Wiesel. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, you've been on this and now with like no one else for God knows how long. I, I think that you're up to something here. You have to interrogate Christy. Yeah, you prove have to, to me that you're make... still with us by, yeah. by so being says, evil again. Are you still on the right side? So he, he calls Wiesler in, and the, the meeting takes place in one of the interrogation rooms, and the first thing we see yes. Wiesler do when he walks in is check if the like scent-collecting cushion is on the chair. Yes. And I find yeah. that... And it is And it's not, so he like is a little bit more at ease. And then he is told mm -hmm. that he is going to have to be the one who interrogates... Uh, Krista, and we get yeah, which which a oh, perfect scene. mirrored shot. He is turned away from the door as she enters out of focus, and it is exactly the same shot composition as when she walks into the pub. Mm -hmm. It is perfect to me. It's a masterpiece to me. And and he hits her with what was, after all, the GDR's line for this thing, which is. The state has, you know, it's nourished you since birth. It's given you everything. It's given you uh, housing. It's given you employment. Uh, and now you have the opportunity to do something for the state in return. Um, and threatens her career. Like she says, does. I made it all up. Dryman never wrote the article. I, I, I just lied. And he's like, I don't believe says, well, you. That's 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 two years in prison for, for perjury lying. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. He says. Um, Dryman, Think of your audience. Yeah, yeah. Publico. He says, Dryman uh, will never know what you tell us. You will instantly be released. In, in fact, what he says is, um, his opening line to her in this interrogation is like, in seven and a half hours, uh, the director of the theater that you're performing at will go out on stage and say that you are unable to perform for medical reasons. And this will be the last that anyone in the acting world ever hears of your name. 
And that's his opening line. And I was like, fuck, so Jesus Christ. Um, and then he says, like, don't be a hero. You'd be surprised how many people are in this prison for unnecessary heroics. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. i got to be honest. This is the point at which, like, I- I'm looking at my notes. I-, I didn't make another note until, like, the final scene. Like, I just got caught and just watched the movie at this point. It's, it's such it's such a stage play. So good. At this point. Because there's no it's... violence. At no, like, mm-hmm. he never threatens her. They never, like, beat her. The Stasi are never shown, like, really... Well, they, they kind of destroy yeah. some couch cushions, but no one ever, like, pulls a gun and threatens anyone. It's all just like, don't you want to do this? Don't you want to do this? Otherwise, I'm going to do this horrible thing to you? It's, it's like, all, like, the monopoly on violence, right? They... Mm-hmm. They don't have to threaten these people particularly hard. They don't have to to do anything because everyone within the GDR is under complete knowledge that these people have the capacity to ruin your life. They don't yeah. need to. I remember her. at the start of the film, there's a little title card that that shows, you know, it says just how many people were informants for the Stasi. Mm. I remember seeing that. I mean, like, God damn, these those bastards! Like, they must have really like been been horrible. What was what, what was wrong with the people of East Germany? And then by the time we get to this scene, I'm like, fucking fucking hell! Like, I can understand. Like, you don't condone it, but I'm like, Jesus, I understand why she betrays Dryman at the end of that. Yeah, hundred percent. What's really what's really curious is even in in like the popular memory of uh, like former East Germans, like people didn't really know. Like, they knew what the Stasi was, they knew what it did, uh, you know, even children knew that, but no one really knew the extent until they found the files. Mm. And the fact that they were able to keep this so secret from so many people, that like, in a nation where like, maybe one in 50 people was collaborating, and they all thought they were the only ones, it makes you wonder about what we don't know about now. Right, it makes you a little bit paranoid, as well. It might do, um, so uh, because as we will get into later in this movie, d- different different states, different systems, capitalist systems, communist systems, uh, d- that still has room for sort of these these exercises of power. The first A um, in A cap stands for all. <laughs> um, so 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 Grubitz goes and uh, goes to search the flat, and he's like, "Oh, Visla Visla's already left. That's weird. Whatever." Um, he goes to search the flat, and I knew what was going to happen at this point. I knew. It. I yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. But what's interesting is he has them search the whole room again, even though he's God. he knows precisely he where the thing is. He makes such a mm-hmm. fucking show of it, purely out of sadism. He's okay. like, "Huh? Wait a second. This this door sill doesn't oh, seem quite just right." Just one to me. more thing. <laughs> Crazy. Let me do this. This door stops kind of squeaking. Let me just bend down and put some WD fully on it. Oh my goodness, what? it's come right Oh my off. god, could there be some yeah. sort of hidden compartment in here? That's crazy. <laughs> what if I just open this? And meanwhile, like, Krista is, like, watching this, makes mm-hmm. perfect eye contact with Wiesler and just, like, leaves. Uh, not Wiesler. Uh, Dryman. Dryman realises that Krista betrayed him, um, or thinks does, mm-hmm. and then she, she runs. She leaves the house in a bathrobe. Um, and, of course... Grubitz opens the secret compartment and the typewriter is gone. Yeah. And there's no mystery uh, to and... this either because there's a scene earlier where we okay, see yeah. Wiesler remove it. Like, it's not. It's... Yeah, we know, we know, we know, we know what's happening here. But, but uh, Krista is, is so distraught that she, she runs into the street and it's sort of like dubious whether how much this is intentional. Mm. But she gets hit by a truck uh, and killed. And we, we, we see Wiesler is there to see it, having like stashed the typewriter in his, his shitty little car. Um, and, and is horrified, 
uh, Dryman and Groove, it's, again, it's a play, yeah. right? Third act of the play. Everyone rushes out to see what's happened. Um, and uh, Gruvitz in it's sort of like this uncharacteristic, sort of like feeling some measure of pity or shame is like, well, it's over now. I don't, um, I don't read it in that manner. I, I don't see it as pity or shame so. at all. I think that in his estimations, if she has stolen and hidden the typewriter, she's taken that information to her grave and there's nothing they can do at this point. Like, I, I don't think this is a sympathetic thing. I think this is just a, well, it's literally a dead end. Yeah. So, it, it's now over. Uh, Dryman is left mm -hmm. in the street with Krista's body. That's right. Um, and, yeah, they and, don't, and like, say, do you want to speak to anyone? Do you want counseling or anything? No. They're just like, all right, uh, bye. They're like, oh, <laughs> we seem to have received what, what, an erroneous the... tip-off. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, wait for the normal cops or whatever. Um... So Wiesla drives Grubitz home, and Grubitz immediately knows what Wiesla has done, uh, and is like, even if you're too smart to leave any trace of this, uh, you know, your career is over. Uh, you're going to be steaming open envelopes in a basement for the next 20 yeah, years. Yeah, what was that about? Well, the, the postal surveillance, which is, uh, as it looks, not a very nice job, because you have to steam open envelopes all day. It's like, it's yeah. hot, it's unpleasant, it's menial. It's sort of where you put the um, guys that you don't want ever advancing. It's like a dead-end job for disgraced lads. Yes. And then they, and they sort of open letters and then read them. Detail. Yeah, yes, and there's a detail. The guy in the, the desk behind yes. Wiesler's is the guy who is telling the joke about Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. well, oh, I he didn't realize that. Ah! misread the audience once again later on. <laughs> Just got <burned. laughs> Either that, no, or... I, I think it's because it of this. Been... I think that's the joke. Yeah, oh, do you, do you think it's because of that, or do you think, like, Grubitz did that sort of in the background? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think Grubitz laughed it off, made another joke, and then reported I him anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's what the joke that. is. I fully believe that. Um, I didn't realize little... it was the same guy. The little, the little jab. As he's told, you're going to be in there for 20 years. 20 years! We look at the, the newspaper in the passenger seat, and it's just like, Mikhail Gorbachev is elected Premier of the Soviet <laughs> Union. Yeah. And, and in what is like a very sort of like bitchy little intertitle that I really like, four years and seven months later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the fucking the Berlin Wall comes yeah, down. Yeah, the Berlin Wall yeah. comes down, and he, like, and Wiesler hits the bricks. He just the leaves. Wall comes you down, he's like, you can okay, go. Well, Stasi's over. <laughs> just walks straight Jim out. Jim and yeah. are, are patient people, and good things come to those who wait. <sighs> that's that's right. Right. Um, so we now jump into the future. It's two years in the future. This is probably my favorite joke in the thing. We're watching the same play that we were watching at the start, but it's now being done with trendy, modern theater setting. Yeah. Whereas the previous one was them all in like a, a, a fucking... It was socialist yeah, realist theater. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, really interesting. The first time we see the play, it's like set in a factory and there's like a proper set. People are like uniforms and like boxes and handling stuff. But then... then Everyone's we, wearing like black yeah. when we see it again, it's, turtlenecks. Well, I, when we see it again, I think it's quite an interesting commentary mm -hmm. on like, you know, the, the bourgeois art. When we see it again, yes. it's very abstracted. Like people are in blacks, like there's no set. It's very, very plain. Um, and it's it's just a nice, especially with the reference to Brecht that we had earlier on, it's just a really, really nice sign that like Dryman's art has kind of been taken and it, it's, people like it because it's about like the, the perils of East German communism, but it's been turned into this slightly like soulless abstract thing and he can't even watch yes. it, he storms out of the theatre. <laughs> the thing <laughs> it's, is, it's I, very, it's, I wrote it's down, very well observed. I wrote down, this is what happens when you let the West interfere with your art. <laughs> 
<laughs> what happens is it's it's not just the staging. He walks out because it's the 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 monologue that Krista did in the first scene, and it's the moment where like he Hemp and and Wiesler were all looking at her, and he's sort of like overcome by grief in that moment. And what's really really interesting to me is he goes out to the lobby and he sees Hemp there, who is also who is also, and he's like, yeah, I couldn't face it either because, however perversely and rapaciously he loved her, in his own imagination at least, and so, you know, he can't watch it either. Um, and Hemp, this scene with Hemp is also really fucking- I love this scene with Hemp. And pivotal. Hemp, Hemp does not look any worse, yeah. right? He He's looks still in a suit. exactly the same, still in the suit, um, and he says, oh, I, I hear you haven't written since, uh, since the wall came down. I, I, kind of, I get it. In 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 the Federal Republic, there's nothing to believe again, uh, nothing to believe in, nothing to rebel against, and he he launches into this sort of like now very familiar like nostalgia like selling point of like oh our little republic, you know it was it was quaint but it was nice and we had we had these things and we had art and uh, and Drummond just looks at him with like this sort of unbounded contempt and he says to think that people like you used to run a country yeah. It's really and he, good. And he uses that oh. as like his his moment because he goes like, "Look, you guys surveilled everyone I know. Why not me?" Mm-hmm. And Hamf is like, "Oh, bud, we were surveilling you <laughs> nonstop. We knew yeah, everything. Check, check your light switches. Check your light yeah. switches." <laughs> and we get this beautiful scene where he like where where fucking Draymond is just like pulling all of these wires out of his walls. And it's just like, what the fuck I, yeah. happened here? Yeah. Like, there's, a cu- there's a curious thing with this scene with Hemp, which is that I invented mm. in my memory an ending to it. Um, I, because I haven't seen this film in something like five years, at least. And the way I remembered it before re-watching was a little less subtle. I thought it ended with Hemp getting into a Mercedes. And, be, and sort of making the point more explicitly that like, oh no, all these guys are survivors. They did mm-hmm. fine. Um, and it's not there. I made it up. It's all in my imagination. Spiritually, uh, but, he gets into a spiritual Mercedes. Yeah, um, a spiritual. I'd love to have a spiritual Mercedes. Yeah, like Ghost Rider. Um, yeah, there's yeah. this really um, this moment where Dryman like pulls the bugs out of the walls, and like he realizes that he survived this, but it was kind of arbitrary that he did. Sort of feeling of being brushed by the wings of something dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, also, like, I mean, I, I, I don't really understand what it feels like to go through something like that, but like. I, I, I'm very much like struck and, and plagued by like survivor's guilt from having survived what the NHS does to trans people in this country. Um, and to, to realize that you've interacted with this like horrific fucking system and gotten away with it and like survived, but it's arbitrary that you did and that you did and other people didn't is, well, to, is to, to do the sort of the handshake meme, one of the things that you can do with both the Stasi and the NHS is request your files. That's fucking right. And that's what, and that's what Dryman does. He goes to the, the, the federal agency for uh, Stasi records. This is, to, to uh, my mind, this is the funniest thing I can imagine. And I, I, gotta, be, I gotta be honest with you, I imagine how the East Germans might not feel the same, but to it's, go to it's, the, it's Stasi the Stasi this is the best agency to be like, all right, boys. What did you have? It's such a and they come yeah. back with like ten folders and they're like, yeah, we arranged this by that, that's, time. I'm sorry. 
That's basically the the only joke in this 100%. movie. Like the only like flat joke in this movie is they're like, oh, it's it's more than one file, so it might be a minute. And he's clearly expecting like you know two files. And a guy wheels in a cart that's like piled high with files, and he just goes, respect. <laughs> yeah, so good. Really it's so so good. It's like, damn, you must have been cool, bro. What the fuck? <laughs> and so. So he reads the files and he he begins to piece it together and we see the extent to which Wiesler has been covering for him. The the cover that Wiesler has made up is he's not writing an article, he's writing a play for the 40th anniversary of the GDR. Mm-hmm. Um and and they go and the Stasi sort of request more information and Wiesler is left to ghost write his yeah, play. Yeah, the surveillance the surveillance records to have this like, oh yeah, he said that this is what happens in act 1 of the play and this is what happens later on. It's all fucking what made he up. Said, what he, <laughs> What he says happens in Act One of the players. Lenin is in constant danger. Yeah, but he continues with his revolutionary work. It's it's so so powerful so, and so sweet. He also finds Christus confession and all the reports on him. Um, he he discovers that Weisler was demoted. Weisler is never referred to by name, um, only by his yeah, uh, his code name. Hagewitz van Sigsieben. Uh, his code name HGWX seventy uh, seven in English. Yes, and then also the final report of like yeah you know Krista was killed or whatever, um by Weisler has red has like a fingerprints in red ink, so he's like oh he my god the he touched the typewriter yeah, and but like leaked. this is the guy that took the typewriter like he he finally in that yeah. moment understands it he goes over to a guy and he's like all right who the fuck was Hagave uh, season seven and like something else that I think is. Maybe a little bit weird is that they just have a Rolodex of everyone who worked for the stars, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, it's this guy here is his name and address." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to me, that, that's sort of a convenience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh fuck! Oh, no. And then, yeah. and then, in in more irony, Drymon goes and surveils Wiesler. He goes and like goes to where he lives and like looks at him. Wiesler has has like this terrible menial job delivering junk mail. This is this is something that I I, I now want to get into sort of. Um, the way in which this movie is perceived by, in particular, former East German dissidents, they don't like it very much. It's, it's kind of grown on them over time, but this is one of the reasons why. Because, the, okay, the reason why Wiesler has this terrible menial job is this, because it's a morality play and he's being like punished for doing good, right? In actuality, Stasi officers did very, very well for themselves out of reunification. They were one of the few groups who did. Like, yeah. I, I, a lot I, of us I, became I podcasters. <laughs> uh yeah uh but so like i can't overstate what an economic trauma reunification like 70 percent of east german women lost their job when the war came down wow really um, seven w- yeah, wow that, that's true because east germany guaranteed uh equal pay for for equal work and full employment for women and the west did not um so uh, yeah, like a lot of people did very poorly out of reunification, and uh, the, the Federal Republic has sort of like addressed this in its own way, which is not very well. Uh, but Stasi men, because they had these skills, because they knew how to work people, because they had these connections, they they were very heavily recruited by security companies, by sort of like as private detectives, but even things like real estate agents. And there's there's like increasingly there's uh, sort of networks of former Stasi officers uh, who who like. You know, get together and have a drink about the good old days, um, and it's it's so weird. And so this is sort of like, um, I understand it as a dramatic conceit. It's not historical, really. Is it possible um, that that Weisler deliberately refused to use jobs that would have utilized that the skills? Is that kind of what it's saying? Here's the thing: 
what the director of Berlin Hornschonhausen, uh, the prison that's now a memorial center that we see in the first scene, refused to let the director of this movie shoot there on the basis that you can't make a Stasi, a Stasi officer into, uh, into a moral hero. And the director of this movie, uh, Florian Henkel von Donsmark, says, uh, okay, well, what about like Schindler's List? Uh, and the guy goes, well, that's the thing. Oscar Schindler existed. There was no Stasi agent like this. This never happened. We have the records for this. We know in exacting detail everything they did, and it never happened. Uh, not just because there were no opportunities to, because Stasi agents like worked in teams and were like surveilling each other all the time, but also just because they didn't want to. Um, and it, it it was as an agency, it produced uh, idealists in in a way that they were able to like sort of like keep themselves contained in their idealism. They didn't want to like do anyone any favors like this. And so, in it's that respect, it's really controversial. Yeah, so, but yeah, um, I can see that actually. That's a fair point. But so he's he's doing this terrible menial job. Also, a couple of little details that I want to draw out as well in terms of like nostalgia, nostalgia. Um, in the Federal Republic, in 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 newly unified Berlin, we see, unfamiliarly, graffiti on the streets. We see yes, that was homeless people yeah. on the streets. And we're like, oh, wait a second, maybe this is, maybe this is not sort of so, so uncomplicated a liberation as we thought. Yeah, it's not an unalloyed um, good. Yes, yeah. Um, Whereas all, and, all the streets that we saw in East Germany, completely clean. Yes. No, um, no rubbish, no graffiti, no homelessness, just... I mean, because there was like full housing, right? I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, this Even is if the, your house was you, a prison cell. Yeah, like, like, it was you, a house. It was full of bugs, but you were given <laughs> a house yeah. in in every meaningful sense of the word. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's hey, sort of different house. conceptions of rights, I suppose. Like, it, it, it's it's not true to say that like it, the German Democratic Republic had no concept of human rights. It's just that those were collective rights. You didn't have a human right against the state because that was something entirely outside that conception of mm -hmm. rights. You had a right to housing, you had a right to a job, uh, but you didn't have like a right to privacy or you didn't have a right to freedom of speech because those were individual rights instead of collective ones. Um, but so, so Dryman sees Wiesler on the street and he's like unable to confront him. Um, and so we get another jump forward in time, another two years. Um, and uh, Dryman has written his his first novel, the first thing he's written since yes. uh, since reunification, um, which he is again called Sonata for a Good Man. And we see Wiesler delivering his junk mail, his farm food leaflets or mm -hmm. whatever, and just like stopping as he sees the giant window display um, in in a bookshop on the Karl Marx Allee, which is another fucking piece of hauntology. Mm. It's the Karl Marx Buchhandlung, which is real. Um, and he he goes in, he he like thumbs through it and he sees the dedication which is uh to HGV Svansigsiven to his code name with gratitude and we get the perfect fucking line to end on makes me cry every time he buys the book and the guy goes uh do you, do you want a gift wrap and he says no it's for me it's just a great it's a great little sort of like joke but i mean to do the cry it's... report devon uh cried two times during the course of this movie <laughs> I'm not doing this now. Devon cried. Yeah, 7.31 p.m. Devon cried. That's one of these movies I've cried at, I'll tell you that for free. Um, you know what? Actually, mm. crying is a bit harsh. I teared up twice, but the, the, the tears didn't go down my face. They just... 
or reabsorbed. Not the last time I'm going to make you two watch a movie that's going to try and get you to cry. I'll note that um, on my, my I, score I said, for that as well. I, I, I didn't cry, but there were various points where I was like, oh, I was like, like in a in a in a ball of of stress. Um, partly mm. that was because I had to take breaks from it to field calls from my agent about this fucking shit. Yeah, um, God, so I, I was I was very much like in the zone with this film. Um, and I my last note here says. It's amazing that the lesson we took from the fall of the Berlin Wall and the exposure of the Stasi was that communism is bad and not cops are bad. Because mm. a lot of this yeah. shit is like, one of this shit still fucking happens. It's the same well, shit. I mean, like, it, it is a two-quoque fallacy, right? But if you'll allow me to be fallacious, we do be doing all this German. shit also. <laughs> <laughs> don't write in, I know that was Latin, I do speak Latin. <laughs> <laughs> in like the like disclaimer voice, they were like very first. I know it was Latin. And uh, the thing is that like the the GDR has been very successful at sort of posthumously rehabilitating mm. itself. And great cameras too. <laughs> very much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I I say this is sort of like a, an accessory to it, right? Like. Uh, you know, it, it is uh, something that, like, has by reputation become one of the gentler communisms, right? Because uh, they, they'd only destroy your ability to make art. They wouldn't kill you. They wouldn't even hit you, necessarily. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a small, weird, beautiful republic that contains such things as Trabants and Goodbye Lenin and Zonenale. And it's like... Okay, true. It was all of those things, and people do feel nostalgic for it. And it did have universal housing, and it did have free healthcare, and uh, it perversely was better about trans rights than West Germany for a couple of years. But it, it was also these things too, and uh, I, I think it's sort of a, a worthwhile tonic. And I think even if you're sort of like uh, Stasi records agency guys don't like it. Um, I think it has, has has value for that at least. Yeah, I was also I, I was quite touched by what it has to say about surveillance, and it's a useful reminder, I think, that if you are surveilling someone and mm. they do, if you're watching someone and they can't watch you, you necessarily have more power than them, and therefore mm -hmm. that is not an equal society. Like you, you might say this is about equality, this is about socialism, so everyone being the same, we're just looking out for you. But if you are surveilling somebody, you are in a position of power over that person, and there's just no getting around that. And it's I think it's it's a powerful reminder of that because these sorts of justifications are still being used for police surveillance and, and heavy-handed policing today. Like mm -hmm. all, all the time, like in London. I mean, isn't isn't there a, a recent case that like the Met have just acknowledged they like violated somebody's human rights and like they're doing like facial recognition stuff and like stop and search and stuff. And it's always it's like we're, it's always sold as like we're looking out for you. And we're, we're protecting people, and it's like you, you're not, though, are you? Because you're actually just the kind of fucking occupying force. What's What's really grim is that we don't even have a like a reason anymore. Yeah. Like to to do this, to do these things, these terrible things, because because there are like enemies of socialism, which undoubtedly the GDR had enemies. Uh, like in order to like build. Communism, in order to like build prosperity and happiness and peace and all of this, we like barely even do lip service to any sort of capitalist ideals, whatever those might be. We're just sort of like around, and that's it's like grim in a different way. Don't want disruptive say. protests because uh yeah uh, yeah they're noisy. So, mm -hmm. Okay, great. Well, I wouldn't want anything to be noisy. This... I wouldn't want the end of the world to be noisy, would I? <laughs> what uh, what does this movie say about masculinity? 
Uh, uh, I don't fucking know. I mean, it says a lot about <laughs> creating art. Be a fucked up little art. dude. Um, um, yeah, that's something I have an immense amount of interest in. As, as someone who's still trying to figure out what, what kind of art I can even create. Well, I mean, you can always use an East German camera. So well, I, I'm using a Japanese one at the moment, I'm afraid. No, because you've betrayed the revolution. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, just mate. I think it has interesting things to say about femininity, actually. It, it, especially oh, with certainly. regards to like, Krista's career being more fragile than Dryman's because she is a woman. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I thought yeah. that was very interesting. That's um, right. Also, the, these these are all like sort of male-dominated environments. Um, yeah, no female the, stars the agents. Not that we yeah, see. Which is yeah, you, um, you see that's a very one. deliberate choice. Oh yeah, but the it's um, DM me. <laughs> you see one female stars the agent, and that's it. And it's the lass who is writing down the transcript of the interview between. Um, oh, but yeah. that's okay. literally it, and she doesn't even like her face isn't even on screen. It's it's, it's back of her head, so mm. not great. But she's not like an she's not like an agent the way that no, that of we course not. She's like a stenographer, yeah. Um, which is yeah. Um, so th- th- that's that's the lives of others. A little sort of three act morality stage play um, about about East Germany and about surveillance and about parasociality. Whose turn is it next? Is it my turn? I honestly have I don't no recall. Because <laughs> if it is, then I think I might choose Equilibrium as a companion piece to this. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, a movie, a movie about how uh, going off your meds is actually good for you, and you should do it. You should take estrogen. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. Well, I'm, I'm looking yeah, at the I mean, list. You, you, you pick Jennifer's body. Oh yeah, good point. It, uh, that means which, it's your which turn. Means then. It's my turn. But I, I gotta be honest with you, I, I, I can't think of one, so I'm happy to cede to Equilibrium for now. You sure? Yeah, I'm more than happy. Especially if it makes right, for a good perfect. companion piece to this, 100%. Alright, well, we will return with an next bonus episode. Because I always respect and listen to women. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the next mainline episode, which will be the second man from Uncle yeah, the Movie. Spy from Does my anyone face. happen to remember? Uh, the Spy, the with, spy my face. with My Face. That's right. The Spy With My Face. The Spy oh, With oh, My Face. I, I, I fucking love I cannot wait. Series. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait until we get to the final 60s one that my brother Say wants to come on for. To his um, like, well, Fantastic. guten Abend, liebe listener, uh, and we will see you next time. We will time. see you. You won't see us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we, will, we will see you. We can see you. You're looking great, listener, by the way. Fade out. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of Kill James Bond. Next week on the free feed, the spy with my face. It's we're we're having a lot of fun doing the silly ones on on main. We can get away with doing quite cerebral and thoughtful bonuses. So uh, considering that it's my pick after the next one, if you have any ideas, please let me know. I love to listen to the audience on this one. Currently, of course, you don't have to be a subscriber to get the full gamut of content we are creating and producing over winter, owing to uh, how much it sucks to be alive in England right now. It's very expensive and it's not even very good. So at least we can do is give you one podcast a week. Uh, but we do still have some patrons, and I would be remiss to not thank our £15 and above patrons, and those are... 
Christine Fox, Amanda Comet, Fawkes Winchester, Gustavo Lira, Jack Holmes, Paint McCalla, Thomas Oberhardt, Nick Boris, Yarek, Natamori, Harriet de Gok, Corios, the Commissar formerly known as Jen, Library Hitman, Beef Crime, Benno Rice, Jonathan Gerdes, Callan Bernie, Max Gaimanhart, Jack Drummond, Kit Devine, Kentucky Fried Commie, Jay Martindale, Hellblood Hands, Lisa Mage, Jonathan Siegel, Tarp O, Big Titty Goth Girl, Mothman, George Rohak, Trip Harrison Fuller, Charlie Out of the Closet, Alex, a trans robot, Zoe Shepard, Turf Seat Shit and Die Alone, Elizabeth Cox, Danny Potter, the Femboy a Spy, <laughs> and that's so appropriate, and you couldn't have possibly known how appropriate that is to the episode that we've just recorded. And Finn Ross. Kill James Bond is Alice, Abigail, and Devon. Our producer is the wonderful Nate Bethay. Our podcast art is by Maddie Lipchansky, and our website is by Tom Allen. See ya.